What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is off today. We are joined by Emily Jashinsky, culture editor of The Federalist, host of The Federalist Radio Hour, director of the National Journalism Center, senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, co-host of CounterPoints, and somehow she still has enough time to fill in for Jim today at the Three Martini Lunch. Emily, how are you? It's good to talk to you again. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for having me, Greg. Oh, it's great to have you. We got crazy, bad, and crazy today, and we were just debating whether it should all be crazy, but uh, I think the middle one has to stay bad. But let's start with the first crazy, because anybody who was on Twitter last night knows exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Some blue checks from the left got suspended last night, and that's something they're not used to, uh, Emily. So we had a problem over there. Uh, People like Aaron Rupar, uh, you've got CNN's Donny O'Sullivan, you've got Washington Post Drew Harwell, and some other people who were getting suspended. And so the uh, apoplexy kicked in pretty quickly. What in the world happened? And Elon Musk later came on to explain, I just told you yesterday I'm changing the rules on doxing. You're not allowed to give out specific real-time information about where other people are. Uh, This was all because of the fact that uh, some people harassed a vehicle they thought he was in, but his young son was in. Uh, And then last night, it appears, uh, there were people tracking uh, where he might have been in real time with his airplane. And so uh, the left, of course, Emily, which had no problem with the New York Post getting suspended over the Hunter Biden laptop issue or people getting in trouble for even linking to that or many other things, COVID, elections, whatever, over the years. Uh, very, very upset with this. Over at CNN, Oliver Darcy, long time the... Um a uh, long time the uh, sidekick of Brian Stelter over there uh, talking about what a dark, dark day this is. I think this raises a big question about what the free press, what the future of the free press on Twitter looks like. You know, are news organizations going to stand by as the reporters are just, you know, hastily banned without explanation? Uh, CNN is saying it's going to reevaluate its relationship with Twitter based on the response it gets. I want to read you the full statement, Allison. Please. It says, um, the impulsive and unjustified suspension of a number of reporters, including CNN's Donnie O'Sullivan, is concerning but not surprising. And it goes on to say Twitter's increasing instability and volatility should, have, should be of incredible concern for everyone who uses Twitter. And then it goes on to say we've asked Twitter for an explanation and we will reevaluate our relationship based on that response. And I think it's so important to point out that Twitter really needs or really relies on News. I mean, that's what's what the kind of the lifeblood of and Twitter. Journalists. Current events. I mean, they're all right. on Twitter. Ah, so when conservatives get suspended, Emily, uh, it's uh, misinformation, disinformation, saving democracy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If it's a lefty, the free press itself is on the line. So while <laughs> there might be a, a better way to go about the policy, what do you make about the double standard here? 
Yes, I have all of these journalists in my prayers today uh, because, <laughs> you know, it's it's a hard time for them. I have so little sympathy for these folks because my colleague, John Daniel Davidson, has been suspended for forever because he said at one point, Rachel Levine is a man. And there were no tears. There was no outrage, nothing, even though that's a pretty clear cut statement of fact. And uh, the, there are many other people that have been in similar situations to John. And actually, a lot of these journalists who are now hysterical about Elon Musk were calling for more bans. They were the ones that were chasing the bans. They wanted the content to be moderated that way. So it's Elon Musk is acting like a capricious billionaire. Of course, we have lower standards for capricious billionaires. I get that Elon Musk said he uh, wants to bring a free speech neutral mentality back to the platform. I do think that it's wrong to suspend these accounts because while he's correct that the FAA data is not public, you sort of need to know which jet is his and connect those dots And in order to do that. That. Um, I, I get it, uh, but I think you know billionaire private jet tracking is uh, entirely fair ground for journalism. I understand why it makes him uncomfortable, and I understand in this environment um, why people are are feel insecure about their personal safety. A hundred percent. Thankfully, he can afford security. Uh, but come on, this is what you expect of a capricious billionaire. This is not what we expect, however, of the fourth estate. They should have always been concerned about this instead of being entirely in the office at camp and actually wanting more suppression and censorship. Um, so I, it's just while Elon Musk may be wrong in this case, um, even though it's I mean, this is hardly as clear cut as the question of Rachel Levine's biological sex. Um, I just have zero sympathy. Um, and I think it is a much, much less important issue than the issue of basically the entire journalism industry tossing the principles of free speech out the window years ago and and now wanting support. Uh, it's just absurd. Yeah, there's so many different uh, potential follow-ups here. First of all, on the capricious billionaire front, I, I, <laughs> nobody ever says that about Jeff Bezos. And just a week or two ago, there was a, a piece in the Washington Post about how Diet Coke might be the uh, official drink of basically psychopathic autocrats because Trump drinks it, and apparently so does Elon Musk. So, I mean, uh, democracy, of course, dying in darkness as well. But uh, nobody ever seems to have the uh, the full-page expose on Jeff Bezos because, you know, he has all the right opinions. Right, right, exactly. And it shows, like, their, their true principles really show in times like this when they were in a Spaces yesterday, a Twitter Spaces conversation, and Elon Musk popped in, and the journalist just had this tone as though it was D-Day. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, they were at war. They were being oppressed and targeted. Um, and it just, they're, which it's, it's very clear when something like this happens that they have a one-sided approach to what free speech looks like. They actually do not believe in free speech anymore. And again, it's fine when powerful people don't. Uh, be, even if powerful people say they do, we know people in power are going to be hypocrites. That's exactly why the First Amendment is the First Amendment. It's why the Fourth Estate, as we call it, is essential to a functioning democracy, a functioning system of Republican government. Uh, you have to have a free press that uh, wants everybody to be reporting on powerful folks without fear or favor. And they don't want anybody. I mean, it's fine to do that with a viewpoint. It's not fine to do that and claim you have no viewpoint when you clearly do. But they should want powerful people, whether they're Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, George Soros, whoever it is, they should want those people to get extremely critical treatment in the press. Um, but they just want it for one for one type of person. Um, and it's just a very sad statement, I think, on how far the, the press has come from playing its role. And 
And, uh, you know, if, if Elon Musk wants to let conservatives uh, say some things uh, with, with honesty, that not even just conservatives, liberals, too, who agree on different issues, if he wants to allow that to happen on Twitter um, and, you know, if it's not going to be welcome in The New York Times or The Washington Post, Fine. I mean, blunt force object. Um, I'm not going to be crying too much for uh, Aaron Rupar's Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's going to miss Keith Elberman for a little while either. Uh, (laughs) So, Emily, you are a journalist. You teach journalists. And so one of the things I think that's happened over the past decade or 15 years, however long Twitter has been around, is how people who still present themselves as objective uh, presenters of facts have basically exposed themselves as as ranked partisans. Now, some people are columnists. Some people work for, you know, opinion type sites, uh, present company included. But for those who present themselves as the arbiters of truth and then uh, reveal their true colors over and over and over again, uh, what has Twitter actually done to the journalism profession just by giving them a platform to to be the partisans they actually are? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because I was talking to David Harsani, my colleague yesterday on Federalist Radio Hour, and he was saying, you know, it's easy to lose sight of how great Twitter was, especially at first, for democratizing the industry, for allowing people to point out the hypocrisies, for goading liberal journalists into showing their true colors, and then allowing uh, other folks, conservatives or people like Matt Taibbi, to uh, report on the the revelation that all of these folks who purport to be neutral are actually like far left, not even just sort of center left, but far left in so many cases. Um, And they call themselves reporters, or they call themselves anchors. And, you know, it's been a a tool. And so I I don't want to lose sight of that, because it is true that it just flung open the curtain in a way that nothing ever had or could. Um, So I I get that point. I think it has been good overall uh, in that respect. But I also think it's it's a net negative to journalism, period. Um, So while it exposed the biases, it also created this incredible echo chamber among the most powerful journalists. So, you know, independent journalists can can poke around the edges and, and do what they do, and that's great. Um, you know, the Federalist is has, has a big Twitter presence, and our journalists have a big Twitter presence. But we don't control the New York Times. We don't control the airwaves. We don't, you, you know, the, those are still powerful places, and their power is waning. Um, but as the most powerful people are able to just let their opinions coalesce, and those opinions, you know, are ones that push other people out the door if they don't share the same take. Um, I think that has just become incredibly, incredibly dangerous because it alienates people, it pushes them out of what they feel is polite society, and it makes people really angry. And all of that division and anger, I think, has been toxic to our just our, our society, our ability to function. Real quick exit question. Did Elon Musk do himself any damage uh, in how he's handled this? In terms of his uh, free speech, uh, free speech for everyone uh, mantra that he's had, of course, over these past several months. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think everybody it's just not as clear cut um, as a as a as a case with like the Rachel Levine thing. I think some people do understand that he's trying to protect his family and he's targeted. and all of the people who are angry at him were already angry at him. <laughs> They're just True. sort of using this as an excuse to be like, see, we told you he's bad. And it's like, well, yeah, everyone kind of knew that he was going to make this his platform. So I don't know, but I do personally agree that I think it is hypocritical. I think it is a bad standard to set if you want a neutral platform um, to say that this is a- across the sort of boundaries of reasonable journalism. But I just don't think it's that grave of an offense. So I don't know. I think the people who are already mad uh, are-, are just using this 
as an excuse to be madder. <laughs> yeah, I, I also think they see him as the next Trump. I don't not, not that he's going to run for anything, but uh, no matter what he does, uh, the reaction is at eleven instead of you know whatever it is he actually said. So whether it's this inc- instance or something else, uh, he's getting that type of of treatment. So I'm telling you, you can't get a better Christmas holiday gift than the Omaha Steaks package. Just had them last night, in fact. Mrs. Karamas did a phenomenal job of cooking the Omaha steaks. We had a full meal out of it. It was absolutely delicious. And I'm telling you, whether it's for yourself or a loved one, a friend, get it. And now, 50% off site-wide, plus our code MARTINI at checkout, and you'll get an additional 40% off. But look, it's December 16th. You've got eight or nine days, depending on when you want this thing to arrive in times for Christmas. So order now so uh, you can beat the shipping rush. Everything's backed by Omaha's unconditional 100% money back guarantee. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com to save 50% off site-wide and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout to get that extra $40 off your order. Minimum order may be required. omahasteaks.com, promo code MARTINI at checkout. omahasteaks.com, code MARTINI. All right, Emily, I, I, I put the date in there because and I should now put the year in here. It's December 16th, 2022, because this policy from the Philadelphia Public Schools is going to make some people bang their head against the wall. Uh, this is from the Free Beacon. Philadelphia Public Schools will require students to wear masks for 10 days after the holiday break, marking the latest Democratic-run city to push for lockdown-era mandates. Quote, this is a proactive measure. To reduce the spread of COVID-19, said school district spokeswoman Christina Clark, adding that schools will, quote, implement any actions to protect the health and well-being of students. She says forcing the masking of children is supporting healthy environments. They've learned absolutely nothing so far, Emily. And an accompanying Free Beacon story tells the story out in California. California students lost six years of math and reading gains thanks to the state's pandemic school closures. Learning loss was concentrated among poor, black, and Latino students, according to an analysis from the nonpartisan Public Policy Institute of California released this week. Only 24% of poor students and 15% of black students met math proficiency, down from 32% and 21% respectively. The concentration of learning loss could cause problems for California Democrats who have prided themselves on advancing racial equity. I'm sure they'll have an explanation for why that's not the case. But, uh, Emily, we know the results. We know what kids suffer, uh, whether they get COVID or not. It's pretty mild for them. And yet we keep going down this road. Why? You're right. And I think it's just a a good indication of how hardened uh, the left is right now to alternative perspectives and to new evidence and new information, Um, because there's obvious, especially when they're invoking the health and safety of students. I mean, we have seen very clear evidence, and this is on a bipartisan basis. You have people expressing concern about this evidence that suggests the health and safety of students is best served by having open schools and by not isolating uh, kids away from school and wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there is just very clear evidence that 
this point that if you take your partisan blinders off, uh, that's the best way to serve their health and safety is to, to not bring back any of these mandates and to not close anything down and to not have masks in the classroom because it hampers learning. And what's sad is I don't think we even fully understand the extent of those damages yet. And before we can even understand the extent of those damages, we're bringing this stuff back. I mean, it just shows a, a an inability to process um, disputing information uh, because you've sort of dismissed everybody who might believe in that information as a conspiracy theorist um, or worse. You know, and, and when you start lumping people into those categories, um, first of all, you're going to make them want to lump you into categories. So that's not good. Um, but you're also just uh, closing yourself off from competing information and logic in a way that allows really bad ideas to metastasize without any you know, sunlight as the best disinfectant. And it's just so sad to see it happening in a way that affects kids' health. No, it absolutely is. The fact that Randy Weingarten is not a pariah in our society right now, head of the American Federation of Teachers, and and what some of the unions have done to push as long and hard as possible for kids to stay out of school is absolutely ridiculous. And the spin job they're doing uh, from the Biden administration on down, well, if the Republicans hadn't uh, opposed spending a kajillion dollars on uh, brand new HVACs for every building, we would have been in school sooner. So it's really the Republicans' fault uh, that kids weren't back in school sooner. We're going to have to have people admitting that they were wrong without actually admitting they were wrong. The spin from Democrats that uh, everything we told you in the last uh, two years, uh, we didn't actually tell you. It's, it's kind of maddening. Yeah, I, and I don't. I can't imagine as a parent how maddening it is, especially for a kid who went through all of this. I mean, it just the, the students that I work with a lot of times that went through the pandemic, it, they know what they missed out on. They know how bad it is because they're typically older students. Um, but especially for the younger kids, I can't imagine being a parent who had the whiplash through all of this and is still observing it to this day. Unbelievable. We'll be right back uh, with a quick look at our second crazy martini. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 
Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America, and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all, it's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border, and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed multiple illegal migrants who were breaking U.S. law, and I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app. All right, back for our final martini, another crazy one. Uh, We need another crazy one, I guess, to close out the week. And for that, we turn to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. We know that uh, he was on paternal leave uh, when the major uh, shipping backlog was going on, the supply chain problems, especially along the West Coast. And now we're finding out that uh, Pete Buttigieg was vacationing in Europe leading up to what could have been a devastating rail strike in this country. Free Beacon also with this story. As rail contract negotiations entered a period of crisis in September, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg phoned in from over 3,500 miles away during a vacation in Porto, Portugal, a posh tourist destination best known for its wine production. Buttigieg (laughs) quietly jetted off to Portugal on August 29th, a week before Amtrak began canceling all long-distance trips in preparation of potentially a catastrophic rail strike. The Liberty Weekend Travel is described as a long-planned personal trip and that Buttigieg remained available and engaged from Europe. So, uh, first of all, uh, Emily, you're probably going to get some people saying, well, this was a labor issue more than a transportation issue. So, Marty Walsh, the labor secretary, and other folks were probably more on point at that point. Uh, others, of course, will say, well, you can uh, you can do your job from wherever in the world now. We've got that ability. But if a Republican secretary of transportation had been vacationing on the coast of Portugal a week before a potentially economic crippling railroad strike, I'm guessing we would have heard about it uh, before December. We would have. And that's because I think everybody knows those excuses are really not sound in this particular case because, yes, the negotiations were a labor issue. But if those negotiations had failed um, in a in an immediate and urgent way, as they could have, um, and that's not necessarily thanks to the Biden administration either. But if they had failed, there would have been an enormous crisis. And I, I think I think the story is totally worth talking about precisely because, as you mentioned earlier, he was on a parental leave as the the shipping crisis was unfolding and he was on parental leave for a long time as the shipping the shipping crisis unfolded last year and so when it becomes a pattern uh, if you were a republican you would start to have a narrative shape around you that this is a person who's more interested in sort of the personal endeavors and boosting their own career than the job itself and again it's a pattern because people to judge has handled air negotiations plane negotiations poorly also uh, we've had crises with our transportation in this system some of which are not his fault are stemming from the pandemic and from gas issues and a bad economy. Uh, But nevertheless, it is his job and he doesn't seem to be doing it very well. And he doesn't seem to be doing it at all in this case. It's true that you can phone in, you can zoom in uh, if you're in Portugal, but it's not appropriate when you're a public official, you're funded by taxpayers uh, to be out of the country with an imminent crisis looming. Um, He should have been making contingency plans for what would happen. He should have been in DC meeting face to face with people, giving the job of the respect that it deserves 
deserves uh, and making contingency plans in case those negotiations failed. And that's no small task. <laughs> that would require a lot of work. Um, and we really were very close to something bad. And why wasn't he talking to people in Congress, um, you know, the, sharing the Biden administration's perspective on how dangerous it would be if this stuff failed um, or, or the alternative, you know, what workers actually need, what they can do. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And the reason that we're in this situation is particularly because of a transportation issue is because of the Railway Act from the 1920s. So there's very much a transportation angle to all of it um, that he should have he should have been in country in face to face on top of. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of people, uh, they might not want to, but when they go on vacation, they check their email. If they know a, a significant thing is happening with their work, they might take a little bit of time off for a conference call or so forth. At the very least, you you know say, yeah, text me if you need anything. I'll, I'll, you know, I don't want to talk to you this week, but uh, I'm around if you need me. Uh, that seems to be where Pete Buttigieg was here. But maybe it just comes down to the fact that Pete Buttigieg has nothing to add in these situations because his uh, qualification for being transportation secretary was putting in uh, a bunch of bike paths in uh, South Bend, Indiana, (laughs) which might not have been the best preparation for this job. Uh, Jim and I have talked about this a lot. This is a Biden cabinet that was put together to check a lot of boxes rather than be the best person for the job. I don't know how you see it, but that seems to be bearing itself out here in a number of different stories. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely the case. And again, I just can't imagine being able to go on a vacation, just even on a personal level, being able to go on a vacation, knowing that a crisis could be looming. And in fact, that it is unfolding. Um, Being out of the country, I just can't imagine even being comfortable with that. I think it speaks a lot to Pete Buttigieg's sort of mentality, like, Listen, if you have to reschedule your vacation, you're the transportation secretary. You just have to deal with it. You ha- you you decided to take this job as a public servant. Reschedule your vacation. It's just unbelievable. Apparently, there's nice beaches in Delaware because the president's there every week. You know, you could, you could be a lot <laughs> closer there. And then you're you're right at the Amtrak hub, right at Joe Biden Station or whatever is uh, right there in, in Wilmington, right? Yeah, it is. It's Joe Biden Station. I, I, one time I looked up and I saw the sign for Joe Biden Station in Wilmington, and I was like, really? Wow. I guess it makes sense. Well, uh, Emily, this this administration gives us no shortage of crazy martinis, that's for sure. Uh, thank you so much for uh, filling in for Jim. Merry Christmas to you, and we'll hopefully talk to you again soon. Merry Christmas, Greg. Thanks for having me. Emily Jashinsky. She is the culture editor at The Federalist. She's the host of The Federalist Radio Hour. She's also director of the National Journalism Center, senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum, and co-host of CounterPoints. Uh, Jim Garrity will be back on Monday. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. If you don't already, tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow all of us on Twitter. Emily is at Emily Chashinsky. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Don't forget about Jim's brand new book, Gathering Five Storms, and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Have a fabulous weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. How much do you spend from your paycheck in about 100 days? The Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Every day, Chris helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects your wallet. The federal government is on pace to spend over $1 trillion per every 100 days. Are Speaker Johnson and congressional Republicans doing anything about it? Enough is enough. Whether it's happening in D.C. or down on Wall Street, it's affecting you financially. Be informed. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.